Welcome to another episode of the Fit Professional One podcast. I'm thrilled to have Deb Marshall with me today. Excellent human resource professional for just decades, making a huge difference out there in corporate America. I had the pleasure of being client of Deb's on multiple occasions for all kinds of reasons. And I can personally attest to the quality of her work. And again, I'm thrilled to have her with me today. We're going to discuss the book, Crucial Conversations. And we both love it. It's one of the most useful books I think I've ever used as far as business books go, because many of them give you theory, nothing to act with. But with that, can we get you to give your background, Deb? Tell us your experience. Please don't be modest because it's outstanding. Well, I've been in the HR field. Interestingly enough, my degree is from the University of Iowa, okay? And it's in marketing. Go Hawks! Go Hawkeyes, absolutely. And it is not in human resources. But when I finished college and got into the work world, was in retail management for a number of years. And you find out, you know, what's the people side of things that really makes all the difference in the world. And yes, you know the technical aspects of your job, finance and all of that. But it's the people that really make a huge difference. And so I was in retail management at the store level as well as the regional level. And then moved to Eau Claire. That's another long story. And ended up working at a seminar and publishing company and started as their HR director or their director of administration there. So only 35 employees, small retail organization, very large, very small instead. We had HR and accounting, believe it or not, you know nothing about these things and customer service. So that it was the HR side of it that really captured me. And since it was a seminar company and they were doing professional education, this is for lawyers at the time, but they also were very, very supportive of us going on and getting additional education. So I went to lots and lots of seminars, joined the Society for Human Resource Management, got involved as the local, the state and the national level, and ended up being on their compensation, their national compensation of benefits committee, went to their leadership conferences, you know, got all kinds of great experience working with other HR professionals in the field. You know, I'm saying, yeah, I have 35 employees, but the HR principles are the same no matter the size of the organization. How you utilize them is a little different from small versus large. But the people stuff, I don't care what kind of industry you're in. It's the same. People are the same. And so the skills that you can learn and be able to practice in working with people will carry you through the rest of your life. The thing I found, I'll talk talk more about first conversations later, but the thing I found most helpful about this book, although I was learning it from a professional work standpoint, the skills that I learned along the way were even more helpful in my personal life. And so these are life skills. It's not just mm-hmm. life skills, it is, they are life skills. And uh, so anyway, so, you know, I've worked at professional education since quite some time and then uh, had an opportunity to move back to Iowa, my family is, that was there at the time, and had the good fortune to go into working in consulting with a, uh, an accounting firm that I was at the time. And they didn't have a HR consultant in the Cedar Rapids market, so started there. And that's where I got my feet wet. And that was probably the career choice that just totally changed my life. You know, I'd been an HR director for 10, you know, 12 years, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, <laughs> dealt with everybody, had lots of, you know, problem solving. I mean, and I've often had, when I go talk with students at the university about why do you go into it, you know, why are you going into HR? Invariably, someone will say, Oh, because I just love working with people. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I'll say, well, I'll talk to you in another couple of years. We'll see how you feel about that. <laughs> 
but the yeah. value in it to me is I, I like solving people problems. That's what it's all about. And as it turns out, I was pretty good at it. And so, you know, I did consulting in Iowa for several years and then had the opportunity to move back to Wisconsin again and got in touch with my employer of 28 years at Wisley and did HR consulting, started up the HR consulting practice and, you know, went from, you know, being one person in Warsaw at the time to, you know, it's a national, it's Wisley's national and speak. 15 and 20 in the same field now. I just retired from 28 years at, at Wifley in June. So I did have a couple of years in between there from 2002 to 2004 that I went work with a heavy manufacturing organization as their HR director, 500 employees, 400 union iron and steel workers. So, you know, I've been in the trenches yeah. and dealing with all of those things. But the thing I think that I found most interesting about consulting is that I'm working with so many different companies and it wasn't the same thing over and over again. It's always different. You know, it, like at Red Flint, it was different than it was going to be at a hospital. I helped find a CEO or something. The HR stuff that I did was largely in executive search and also in compensation system design. So if you want to talk about touchy subjects with people, let's start talking money. And so I found that the skills that I learned in crucial conversations were really helpful. When I came back from my stint with the manufacturing company, Wifley, in 2004, that's when I learned all about crucial conversations and went to the class. I have done a lot of training. I've been through a lot of leadership, communication, skill type training in my life and have taught a few classes along the way. And when I read this book and went to the class, and it's like a two-day class, that was, you know, it was a panacea. Is to, oh my gosh, yes, here are the things that I'm doing, but I didn't even realize why. And then where I would get stuck, you know, how do I do that? You know, how do I get through that? The model that we'll be sharing with you, this, you know, I still get stuck. I'm not, we're human. We're going to make sure. mistakes. It just happens. But now I can go back and I'm better at picking up where, oh, this is where I need to Sure. And what can I do? The thing about the, and when we're going to talk about all these skills that you're going to, going to be exposed to here, being able to understand the principles is one thing. And that's great. It's a practical application that's killer. I always say, well, you know, the last thing you want to do is read this book, underline things, and give it to your spouse or your manager and say, here, this is what you need to work on. No, 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 no. It's me first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's two sides. Yeah, right, right, right. And, you know, we have to understand that it's it's more than just us and called here. But, you know, knowing where you screw up along the way and can get back to and resolve it and you can always go back to something that didn't go well i hear this frequently from people who are just talking about this earlier people will say well it's too late for me to do anything about that so anyway so i got the opportunity to go and learn and then also to get certified in teaching and that was through Wifley. So with my retirement from Wifley, I don't teach the class anymore. But I have found that the skills that I learned in this were invaluable in both personal life and in professional life. And I hope that our talking about them today will help right. you in this as well. Well, first, congratulations. Great career and now retirement. You're kind of starting over now. You, you want to tell us what you're doing with... Oh, yeah, why don't we fill in on that before we jump into... Well, yeah. I worked at McLeod and then again at Wesley. I always did these, and I'm calling them circles now, but they are, and I have two in Eau Claire and one in Wisconsin, and they are groups of 
between 12 and 15 HR people and organizations. And we get together once a month and for three and a half hours, it's a lot of time, and talk about you know, a topic of interest that's current. The one we're starting with in October is, you know, artificial intelligence. Big topic right now. Yeah. yeah. But really, so we'll do an hour, an hour and a half on the topic. And then the other two hours is spent talking about so what's going on in the place. And it's a confidential forum. So you get to come and talk about, here, we tried this. This happened with one of my employees or with one of our executives. What do I do now? Mm -hmm. And so it really is problem solving and using a group of your peers. I like saying the term, but the power of peers. So yes, I'm here as a consultant, but you know, it's you're using your group here, and it's mostly the same people come back every year. So you have a, a real synergy sure. with these folks in trust. And so, yeah, I'm starting those up again in October on my own now, instead of doing it through WIFLE, because they were not going to continue doing them in person. And uh, I think in person is just the way to go, <laughs> especially with this kind sure. of Sure. And, uh, so what, what's the website? Or uh, sure, we can flash it up. Uh, you... Three circles, HR. Okay. I'll spell it out. So three circles, two in Eau Claire, one in La Crosse. So if someone's interested, they can go on there and check it out. Excellent. And it starts in October. So I already have a bunch of people signed up. And they better act. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Good for you. So I'm yeah. pretty happy about it. I, did, I often said if I could just do these groups, I would be a happy person. And so I'm going to do that. Sure. It's great. It's been fun setting up the business and talking with people. Yeah. Well, you'll knock it out of the park. And you're one of the blessed ones, correct me if I'm wrong, where work and play or work and hobby have a little bit of an overlap. So you really enjoy it, right? So it's a great yeah. like Absolutely. way to jump into Absolutely. redefining what the word retirement means. Right, right, right. Uh, and as much as I enjoyed doing compensation projects, getting involved with executive searches and all that, it's like, oh, I'm just, I don't need to do anything. So you get to pick, pick the fun stuff. I get to pick the fun stuff. Nice. And that I find most fulfilling and most helpful and interesting. What, what, what a great definition for retirement. Pick the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. By Deb Marshall, by yeah. the way. Okay, so let's jump in. Help us. What is a crucial conversation? Crucial what the heck is that? Well, it says right on the was it tools for talking when stakes are high. And crucial conversations happen when you have differing opinions, you have strong emotions, and you have high stakes. If you have only two of them. Sounds like work. Yeah. Like every day I work. And it's crucial conversations, plural. Yes. Because it's always more than one. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like peeling an onion. You think you got it and go, hmm. And uh, we'll get into talking about CPR and all of that. Okay. You know, quite sure what the problem is you think you know, but then you find out that you don't. So, but if you have only three parts of that triangle, got, you know, high stakes, strong emotions, and opposing opinions, you only have two of them, and emotion is what drives the whole thing. Yes. And if it's not emotional, then who cares? You know, we're just talking. Opposing opinions, yeah, you can, we've got a world, we have opposing opinions all over the place, but it's not something that impacts you if, there, if there's not a relationship there. And so the, it's the high stakes discussions with people that matter to you and that you want to have a, you want to have a relationship with. And if you can't do that, if you're stuck and, you know, we keep having the same conversation over and over again, or I don't know where we're going wrong. I asked this, this doesn't happen. It just continues. 
or I get all upset and then I can, you know, am more contributing to the problem. So mm. you've got to have those three things and it's pretty easy to get them. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately. Let's jump into one of those. I, emotions is the one that's really intriguing to me, right? So you said it drives it and it's uh, part of the human condition. Yes, it is. And what I notice is the times I've been emotional or working with other people that do, when emotions ramp up, good thinking ramps down. Right. Why right. is that? Right, right, right. Is, well, it, well, when is that everybody too? Yes, yes, okay. yes. And there's something that's called the, the fundamental attribution error that we tend to, when we're hit with an emotional discussion, you know, we tend to go to, it triggers our little adrenal gland back here and it, in our amygdala and then we get a little dose of adrenaline. And we unfortunately are designed for fight or flight. Okay. And that's just the way we are. This is the human condition. And so if you understand that, then you can help recover yourself better so you aren't just going to, I'm either going to fight and, you know, that saber-toothed tiger that comes into the room yeah. <laughs> or into the, our campsite or whatever, or I'm going to just roll over and, and run. And so that is the real true thing that we need to be so aware of that causes us all of our problems. And we're just designed that way. And so when that adrenaline happens and that goes into our bloodstream, what happens is that it tends up dumbing down our brain. The blood goes out of our brain, the higher functioning areas of our brain that's going to help us solve this problem, and goes to our hands to fight or to our feet to flight. Hmm. And now, you know, we don't usually get accosted by saber-toothed tigers anymore. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully we're not looking at your work here as a toxic tiger. You know, a, a social threat. Yes, they're real. This is exactly the same response. It's so real. Exactly, so real. Can you make it, like I get sweaty palms. I mean, yeah. if I'm having a bad asthma day, I, I just yeah. start to sweat. It's yeah. really embarrassing. Well, and one of the one of the classes they talk about what is your reaction? Yeah. To stress? And everybody's a little bit different. And you know, you get butterflies. You know, I have a friend Julia that she said she her neck was just turned red. She said I have to wear turtlenecks all the time. <laughs> so people people start to avoid. And the silence part or the flight part is way 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 more common than the fight part. Than the, the going to I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to. To, well, you, I know you want to talk a little bit about term violence. So that's the little word game the author uses, right? Silence okay. or violence. Fight or flight, okay? Yep. Flight is silence and fight is violence. It's yeah. verbal violence. It's not hitting. It's not yeah, striking. But it makes sense. He's Because the magnitude of what you're feeling can get into that zone of the magnitude of the definition of violence. It makes sense. So the name calling, belittling people, sure. all of that. And, you know, we all do it to some extent, but I'm telling you, the silence part, the running and hiding, not providing any information, the clamming up, is way, way, way more common. So withholding information. Withholding information, yes, yes. Well, this is the whole concept of crucial conversations is that if we don't have, if we, you and I are having a conversation and we can't get meaning into this pool of meaning that exists between us, I have my, what I know, my meaning, you know what you know, and then we have to feel safe enough with each other that we can feel it's okay to put that meaning in the pool. And if we don't do that, then we get overcome with, we don't feel safe, we, and then silence and violence take over. And, you know, it becomes this downward spiral. Yep. Yep. 
you know, I remember as kids, you know, we used to do, did too, did not, did too, did not. <laughs> and that's what happens, you know, it's just a simplified version of what Which is interesting too. So all this is starts, it's just human condition, very early age. You know, another thing I found very interesting, I, you know, having just reread the book again recently, I talk about as kids that we learn at a very, very early age, you know, in kindergarten and on up to find flaws in what other people are saying. They might be 95% right, but we're going to talk about that 5% that we don't agree with. And learn? Yeah, we learn. And, and so, you know, I yeah. lose my hand in kindergarten and I get the answer and, wow, you know, that feels sure. right. It's even better if someone else tried it and didn't get it in my way. Ah. You know, so we learn to look for little things that people do and then we comment on them. And so we see it, you know, notice it. I mean, we do this all the time. We're picking out the little stuff and getting all wrapped up in the, the minutiae. Right. So you talked about shared meaning. Yep. And that's really important in, on my read of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like, it is the common ground, so to speak. Do I have that part right? Yes. Absolutely. And so uh, to transition, you know, the Fit Professional One podcast and what we're doing today is all about helping people be better at their careers, their life, all this kind of thing. And I really like that you set everything up with the fact that what we're learning today is not just business. It's friends, it's spouse, it's everywhere. There's this shared meaning pool, though, which is an interesting thing to think about when you're having an issue with somebody. I, As much as, you know, we were talking about the different versions of the book and have read it in the past and truly forgotten too much of it. You know, so it was a nice reread for me, but it occurred to me that I don't necessarily enter. It's more about the task, you know, check the results box or something as opposed to, and the meaning can be, Right, we can zoom in and zoom out on meaning contextually, probably, but the, to give people kind of a basis, and this is, I'm trying to formulate a question, taking way too many words, so let me try to shorten it up. Is alignment of the person versus alignment of the organization one of the challenges of shared meaning? Does it impact it? Yes, and but for probably a couple of different reasons. You know, if my personal mission is at odds with my organization's mission, okay, and I worked at a place like that, like that one time. Oh wow! Yeah, it was, and I left because I could not square my personal values it, with what was going on. Is that life. in fact the usual result when we don't have that alignment? We leave or can we transition people? Well, when it comes to dealing with crucial conversations, you know, you've got three choices. Okay. okay. You can act on it, okay, and do it well. You can ignore it, okay, and just, you know, oh, well, say lovey, or you can leave it. Oh, here's one of my, this is why I thought this was really, really important. Um, so you can, you can be very skilled at this and you'll still screw up personal experience. So the crucial conversation skills don't guarantee that others will change. They simply increase the likelihood you'll have a positive influence. Ultimately, the only person you can change is yourself. So decide whether you want to change your approach to that conversation. What, what can I do differently? Or change my expectations of that person. Well, maybe this is all I can expect from them. So is that okay with me? Or you change the relationship. That's so, three things. Yeah, that's so, so powerful. I mean, it, it's personal responsibility. Yes. So take responsibility. And also, if you're in the superior role or manager, mm -hmm. you're creating conditions under which people can make a choice. But do they? Well, and that's the part that I think is pretty interesting is both parties have responsibility. Absolutely. 
do you have any war stories without divulging confidences <laughs> that we could help make the point on alignment? I, I have one for you to, yeah. to actually just kind of react to it. Long ago, when my company was larger, it was not quite 300 people. And I had a senior person, very skilled, mm -hmm. well-known in the industry, got him to come to work for us. And we had an issue at one of our quarries where we literally had a major theft issue. And that's really hard to do. And we were very remote. I mean, people in large communities are going, what? How could you do that? How could you lose like 20,000 tons of something? Well, when you're remote in Northwest Wisconsin, where there's not a lot of people and not a lot of places, they typically don't have these non-metallic mines close to people. Right. So we're just discussing that. And this particular individual took my questioning for the root cause as an accusation. Oh, and nice. for me... I definitely turned up their urgency not very well. Mm -hmm. I, I must have. I don't remember the particular details. Mm -hmm. But in, in that case, uh, that individual ended up leaving. And I, I still go back to, I was so far beyond in my mind, on my end of the conversation, I was so far beyond the issue and all about the root cause and prevention. And there was a whole bunch of, I'm speculating now because I don't know, of, you know, I feel like, or just that, what that person brought to that interaction. And the, the words that were used to discuss what went on from that person were exaggerations, I thought, mm -hmm. you know, and we kind of ended up nowhere. And I look back at that as one of the, first of all, I lost a really talented person. Secondly, there was some kind of misalignment going on. The shared oh, purpose was, it might be more felt like there was two things. Yeah. I was talking about this and this other person was over right. here mentally. Well, and this is what's the right problem to solve in the first place. Wow. And that's, you know, Oh, and I brought that. Yeah. And you, you look at, you know, there are models here and there are things you need to do before. In fact, in the class, I mean, the first day is just getting your head right around what you're doing. And you don't even speak words until the second day of class because you're just looking at work on me first. I have to be right in my mind. And that means am I solving the right problem? And we tend to get caught up in what's called CPR, content pattern of relationship. Content, the first time it happens, you know, no big deal. Yeah, I need to have a report sometime. Okay, fine, got that. Then the second, third, or fourth time is going to happen. Then it's a pattern. It's a different conversation to have with someone. I'm starting to notice this is going on frequently. What's going on here? And when we talk a little bit about lag time, the more time that goes by between we notice there's a problem and then we actually do something about it, the longer we wait, the harder it is to get back to solving the real problem or identifying the real problem. And most often, the real problem comes down to its relationship issue. Content, pattern, relationship. And the relationships are built on trust and respect. And if I don't trust you, then I'm not going to have a conversation with you. If I don't respect you, I'm not going to. Yeah, I have to have trust and, and, and purpose to get involved in the conversation in the first place. And then I've got to be able to show that I respect you, even it doesn't mean that you have to like the person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does mean that you have to show them respect of being a human being. But the relationship part is the most difficult one to solve because you can see, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with you, but I can't depend on you versus, you know, these reports have been right. Oh. That's a whole different level. And so maybe what was going on is that you were seeing it here on the content side, 
and he was saying there's a relationship issue and you were trying to solve your own problems. That's outstanding. My point is I'm taking responsibility for screwing up that conversation. Yeah. It totally was the way I came at the, literally came at the guy yeah. in his, the, but I wasn't going at him. But, I had the problem, but he felt attacked. But I, he was the guy. So I really was in actuality and that wasn't my intent. And I was early in my career too. That was... Well, thank goodness. You said the word intent, and that is absolutely critical here. Okay. And I know you questioned the whole, you can talk to anybody, just about anybody, about just about anything. You've got the right skills to do this, so crucial conversation skills. But it gets down to what do I perceive your intent to be? Are you my friend or are you my foe? And if I think that you're out to hurt me, and not necessarily, not physically, but you know, you control my job, you control access to resources, you, you will make me look good or bad. I've got to deal with my employees and those kinds of things. That I can hurt you comes across as, you know, I'm going to clam up or I'm going to go on, I'm going to defend myself. Well, it was kind of like the fight. Yeah, yeah. The absence of respect. Respect is kind of like air. <laughs> when you're just sitting here breathing in the air, you don't really think about it. But if air is gone, that's all you're thinking about. Right. And respect is the same thing. So if I'm feeling disrespected, now instead of solving the problem, I've gotten into defending my dignity. And this is what we do. That's exactly what was going down. It was so like I was going left, right. And it was the way, to your point, the way it was brought, the respect thing. And you talked about one of the components being relationship where we weren't really we're just starting the relationship. And my reaction to the whole thing was go, 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 get a solution as opposed to sit back and, and understand the, the other. Develop that trust part of the relationship. Yeah, yeah. You're not here to hurt me. Yeah, and it also what I didn't do is, is he uses another play on words, start with heart. And that was one of my conclusions way back about well, that particular interplay might have been improved. I don't know if it would have solved it, but. State intention, mm -hmm. right? State right. common purpose. Right. Some statement that's authentic if I care. Yes, right. Now jump in. Right. Oh, maybe all that I say are mutual purpose. Right. Mutual purpose and mutual respect. Wow. We don't have mutual purpose. I didn't do any of them. <laughs> if we have mutual purpose in trying to solve a problem, that's kind of like the entrance condition into a crucial conversation that we're working on the same thing here. Yeah, And if we aren't, then we need to step back out of the content of the conversation about, you know, the product that was being lost. That was not the issue. <laughs> yeah. It was about how do we work together? And so when you're in the throes of a crucial conversation, all of a sudden you think you're talking about this and then ah, you're down this rabbit hole and your, your emotions are going. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well, and I've got this little chart here. I'm going to share this with you all too. What do you really want? What are your motives? And your motives deteriorate, bam, like that. You don't even know what's happened. And so on this little chart, I've got unhealthy motives are, I'm going to be right. I'm going to look good. I'm going to save face. Keep the peace. Win, punish, blame. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid conflict or get even. Whereas healthy motives that promote dialogue and getting meaning into this shared pool here is that I want to learn. I want to learn from you. I have my views. You have yours. I know what mine are. I need to know what yours are too. Let's learn from each other. I want to find the truth and not just my truth or just my facts, but what is your truth? What is your facts? And we need to be able to get good, better results. And so the whole purpose of personal conversation skills is to get better results and 
strengthen your relationships with the people that you work with or mm -hmm. that you love or that you need to interact with. And, you know, I want to understand what's going on. And you'll do this. You'll do this in one of your conversations in the next few days where, you know, oh, this is, I'm starting this conversation. Everything is fine. And then all of a sudden, someone says, oh, yeah, well, I didn't see it that way. <laughs> and, you know, you start. And then, you, well, I don't know. I don't see it, you know. And, and then <laughs> as soon as you feel yourself going to defending myself, win, punish, blame, all of that, you are, you're lost. You're lost. You're, you're in you're the rabbit hole. Yeah. You're not solving the problem. You're defending your dignity. And then the problem does not get solved. So it doesn't solve because you're, you're too wrapped up in how does this look? The other thing I noticed about my experience as you're talking there was I didn't have a pattern. There was no pattern, but I talked as though there was a pattern. Yes. You know, as I think about the way I rolled out the conversation, it was a point, very atypical event. It wasn't something, and I was really treating it as though it was a new pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it was just completely wrong. So, okay, that is, there's so much to this. Where should we go next? I mean, can we talk a little, yeah. a little bit about you know, motives and fundamental sure. attribution error and what we do with when we see someone say or do something and we're like, you know, we're doing the whole eye roll thing and, you know, can you believe that? And when we don't have enough information, we start filling in. With the lack of information, it is human nature across the world, not just in the United States, but across the world, to fill in, not just fill in little stuff. We fill in with the absolutely worst scenario. I know why she's doing that. She's just running my place miserable for me. And, you know, the person's like, I don't really care what they're doing. You know, they don't care what your life is like. <laughs> you know? Yeah, my nerve. We, we fill in. And so, and then that gets our emotions going. Yeah. And then we act. So the whole path to action, how did we get there? And we talk about one of the first things, you know, it's strong emotions. Emotions are, we can't say we're not going to have them because we're going to, but learning how to harness those emotions and work with them, it's really is critical. So in emotions, where do emotions come from? And I've heard so many times where people have said, well, that's my feelings. I, that's how I feel. I'm entitled to my feelings. Yes, you are. But where did they come from? I had to teach this class one time to a group of social workers and counselors. And so I'm like, yeah, they know all this stuff. They know human interaction and how this works. And so I'm like, we're just going to meet you and on this, you know. And got it. We started talking path to action. I see something. I tell myself a story and it happens like that. And then that generates the emotion which then drives us to action. So if we can figure out what was story did I tell that generated that emotion, you know, and if I need to change my emotions, the only way to do that is to change my story. Tell stories about people, the fundamental attribution. Oh, I know why they did it. It's because blah, 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 blah. And it's not necessarily true. And using my engineered engineering, yeah. I use the word extrapolation. They take an event and it's like they pull from and project. And sometimes I see the projections cause way worse issues as opposed to just, well, I know why, but oh, now they're going to do this or whatever. And that conversation is problematic. Well, the funny thing about that, though, is when we see it, when our, our dignity, dignity gets challenged here and we start doing the downward spiral thing, oh, yeah, did you, did not. That just takes us away. And we end up, the problem with going down that rabbit hole and going down the downward spiral is that we start behaving 
we start behaving exactly the way we need to for that other person to go, oh, see, told you it was a jerk. Hmm. <laughs> so there was one of the videos in that in one of the training programs from two years ago that I thought was so so illustrated this were two nurses that were sitting in the nurses station night shift and you know, one of them goes, Well, yeah, there's Dr. Jones. Well, well, he's no fun to work with. And and the other nurse goes, Yeah, well, you know, I don't know what these baboons think they're doing when they're working here. Blah, 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 blah. You know, just really disrespectful behavior to them as nurses. Then one of the, the other ones goes, well, one of his little patients is here on our ward, and he's got an elevated temperature at 98.0. Okay. And the good doctor wants to be notified if his patients have some changes. So obviously, he should be called. And the other nurses go, no, you do that. And she says, I've been a so, okay, now she just behaved in exactly the way she needed to for the doctor to be, to go, see what I mean? They're a bunch of idiots. And so we behave, we, and we think we're righteous for doing it. I'll show him. And so we create our own thoughts. How do you develop the skill to catch yourself in that? And that's your brain power. And knowing that I'm not always right. I don't have enough information. Asking the question, now, why would... What's the, one of the major questions in the book? Why would a reasonable, rational, and decent person do what they did, say what they said? Now, they may not be a reasonable, rational, and decent person. That might be a given, okay? But you have to remove yourself from that. So why would any reasonable, rational, decent person do that? And so, you know, in part of the class with the, two, you know, the video with the two nurses and what they did, we got into, so why was the doctor being snippy like that? What is sure. Well, you know, maybe he just lost the patient earlier in the evening. Or maybe he found out that his son's on drugs. Or maybe, you don't know. You can come up with a million different stories based on any set of facts. And we get locked into it because our brains are, you know, either or. It's going to be this or it's going to be that. We get locked into that. And, and we don't see that there are many, many other possibilities. And if our purpose is to get meaning into that pool between the two of us, I have just closed it out completely. If I say, well, I know why I did that. And, no, you don't. No, you don't. Ask questions. Mm. And so that's the whole, how do you set yourself up to then tickle your brain, so to speak, to then start asking asking yourself questions. And if you can go at your brain with questions, of, well, I wonder why it could have been this. Well, I don't know. And so that's the crucial thing is, can I say, I don't know. And we tend to want to do that at all. You know? And so, of course, I know this works and you don't. And so there's some humility that goes into that. Mm. And if you're going to have that have a conversation with somebody, you've got to have the confidence that I've got enough concerns here that I have to bring this up. But I also don't know everything. And so, I, yes, I have to have enough confidence that I'm going to approach the conversation. But I also have to have the humility to know that I may not be right. So it's also a transition then from fear of appearing not competent to being humble. Yeah, right. Humility along the way. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because I've noticed that in my career where it seems people just don't want to come across and say, you know, I really don't know. I need help on this. Right. So I ask for help. Right. Yeah. And the people that are real, and there are some people that are naturally very good at this, and it's just a joy to watch them in action. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it, too. Mm -hmm. They are very, very, very learnable skills. Like you said, this is probably one of the most practical books I've ever read. Yeah. And there's actual skills here. But so you go in to read the book. I was going to allude to this earlier. You go and read the book and go, okay, here's what I can do. It's kind of like reading a book about golf. 
No, like a learner's permit. Well, doesn't mean you can drive. Yes, <laughs> I can read a book about golf and know that this is what I need to do. But that to go out there and actually Absolutely. do it. Yes. The execution part is because no. <laughs> you're going to get rolled up too, right? Your same amygdala is going to do the same thing right. to you. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you practice? Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, doing the class was really very, very ah, helpful. Okay. And there's lots of opportunity. They call it uh, deliberate practice. Yes. And uh, it's not role playing. Everybody hates role playing. But deliberate practice where I went out there and the practices were in groups of three where one person was the antagonist. They're going to try to get your goat. The other person was the one who's going to practice the skills. And then the third person is the coach. Okay. And you'd think that the person practicing the skills, that would be the most critical role. It's not. It's the coach. Hmm. And so you'd have three people, and then you'd have three scenarios, and then you would change roles for each of those three scenarios. So I might start out as the coach, and then I would be the antagonist, and I would be the... So why know. is that? Is it well, a process? Or? Yeah, well, okay. And what happened, this happened every single time I taught class. The first person who was the, practicing the skill just sucked at it. And, you know, the, the antagonist just rolled right over him. And the coach is going, what? 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 You know, what? <laughs> And then, you know, you debrief on that, and then it switch roles. And the second time, the skill user would be a lot better at it. And then, but the real thing was having the coach notice what went wrong, and then to be able to go back on the model and say, this is where it went wrong, and what can we do to correct it? And by the time it got to the third person, they went, oh, okay, I see this now. But you have to go through practicing it and really messing it up, and go, what do I do now? to go that, okay, this is what I need to do the moment. And if you're going back and talking, and I really like doing this class with a group of people in the same organization. You can go to the public classes, you can. Mm. But the real value to me is in taking your entire management team. And so it gives you a common language then to talk about issues that are problematic. And, you know, oh, telling a story, okay? Well, geez, I didn't use my state skills here. Or, uh oh, we're out of dialogue. And this is where this little sheet on common key phrases, these are the words that come out of your mouth. And oftentimes we just get too, we just stumble over what am I saying? Mm -hmm. And then we say it in a way that is, doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just gets worse. So if you can come up with the right words to say and get better at it and be willing to apologize where you screwed up mm -hmm. and come back and say, oh, you know, that competition we had a couple of days ago, I didn't really go very well. I'd like to try it. Can we talk about this again? And I see where I went wrong and I should have done this. And so can we try it again? And most often, it's like you come with somebody with that where, you know, we had a bad conversation and I'm coming in and say, I've been thinking about this. Then they know that you're, you're concerned about it, which of course you are. You wouldn't be coming back and having a conversation. And so being able to do that, then it sets them up for, okay, I'm more open then too. If, if Doug's going to be more open, then Paul's going to be more open. If mm -hmm. I set the stage, and so a lot of it has to do with how do you start your conversation? I've noticed this. I'm seeing this. I am observing things that I've seen happen, and I tell my story, but I'm going to tell it as a story because I don't know for sure, but I need your input as well. And, you know, for instance, word stems. I love word stems. Share my facts, tell my story, ask others' paths. I've noticed that, whatever. I'm beginning to wonder if. Is that what's happening, or do you see it differently? Very different than saying, I saw you take a you know, computer chips home in your backpack. Yeah. What are you, thief, a thief? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I saw this. I'm wondering this. Is this what's going on? Right. Can we tell? 
good and saying that in ways that are tentative and asking for more information because I know I don't have it all. So if I can set up a conversation with, you know, notice something and seeing that this had a situation here. Well, no, I'm going to, I mean, I have a couple of, being in HR, I got involved in sexual harassment stuff, of course, and had one guy that had elevator eyes. So women in the group will know what that means. It's elevators, you know, so, up, down, up, down, up, well, well, yeah. I use, that, yeah. use that in the book too, as an example. Yeah, yeah. And in having that conversation saying, you know, I want to talk with you about something that's having a negative effect that you might not be aware of. So because I knew this person was going to be defensive about it, I sent an email first saying, I'm going to sit down for a conversation with you. It's going to be a little touchy. But I didn't want to just, boom, let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Whoa, that's really on the case. It's already knows it's going to be a touchy conversation. So we'll come in, sit down, and have a, you know, say, I've noticed this, and I think it's having an impact on your effectiveness with the team. Oh, what's that? Well, you know, I've, I've noticed this. I'm wondering if I've noticed you're doing this, and it's not just with me. I've seen it with other women as well. And I think it's going to have a, it's having an impact on your, your credibility on the team. Well, what do you mean? Is that checking you out? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to. I, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying this is a behavior that I think is having an impact on, on your credibility with the team. And I don't think you're even aware of it. And, it, but it, it's causing you some problems here. And I think you need to be aware of it. Well, maybe I do, but I might. <laughs> And then finally, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. I'll, I'll not do that. Well, and the really brilliant thing, I think, though, is then if you have a difficult conversation like this, and it says this in the book, too, you having dialogue and being able to talk about stuff doesn't mean you're actually solving the problem. You've got to move to action mm. to have the problem solved. And then who's going to do what by when and how do we follow up? And that one was, okay, now, this was a difficult situation here where we I don't want our working relationship to be compromised by this difficult situation. So I still want to be able to go into meetings with you and have meaningful conversations about the work at hand without being concerned about this. And but I also want to make sure that you know this behavior is over because I think it'll make a big difference with your effectiveness with the team. So let's get together again in a couple of weeks and I'll put some time on our calendar and you can tell me if I am still being open and welcoming in our conversations about work stuff. And then I can let you know if I've seen any change in the behavior. So follow up afterwards. Mm -hmm. But it's setting up those conversations to start with. And one of the things I talk about in the book is contrasting statements, what I don't intend and what I do intend. So setting out with what's my intent. You know, I want to talk with you about something that I think is having an impact on how you work. And I don't want to imply you know, that if there's anything you know, horrible going on here. I do want to have this conversation so that we can kind of take care of this. Yep, and I see how working with a team in that instance is actually a bit of stating the mutual purpose too. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now, there's kind of an implication typically, I think, with people coming into a supervisory role or just in general that it's always the manager's responsibility. So that's a question for you. Anybody can start these, can't they? Absolutely. And once you're going, once somebody starts it, can't both people move it along? Well, or this is very interesting. I yeah. Think, I just thought, yeah, one of the first times I taught this in a group setting with an entire organization, yeah, because it was just a management team at first, and then we ended up taking the down all the employees. But the management team was like, well... You know, so I know these skills and, and here, I know these skills now, you need to know them too. So, you know, you're just as guilty as I am 
Yeah, the amygdala is firing on the other person. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the problem with learning the skills is that, yes, it becomes your responsibility. If the other person doesn't know those skills, you don't get off the hook. You don't. Sure. So, but are they involved in it? Absolutely, they are. Will they do better if they know what the skills are? Absolutely, they will. But that's not practical that everybody will learn all of these. Sure. And probably, but it's not the case. So you have to take the responsibility for it. Some guilt of crucial conversations. What about that? <laughs> okay, let me rephrase my question. So yes, I'm the one trained taking responsibility for it. The other party can keep it, be a catalyst or ask, maybe affect the timing. Yeah, right. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm. What is their role? Because it's really process-based. That's why I like it. Mm-hmm. And the deliberate practice you talked about is going to help to ingrain the process. And using it's going to make it better. All those kind of things. So those that might, I'm not trained. Is it dangerous to say I'm not trained, but I think I know what they're doing here. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the way that went. I'm going to ask for another shot at it. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what I was trying to. Don't wait if you're not feeling good about it, right? That's just basic humility. Yeah. And I know I'm not perfect. In fact, I found it interesting that, especially with people whose tendency is to go and be yelling and screaming, okay, and when they go through discussion, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, so you go and tell your employees, okay, I recognize I'm doing this, da, 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 I'm going to try to get better, I don't need your help. Well, someone along the way is going to go, watch this, and then they'll go and poke you. Give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> get them off the off the wagon there. And that's just me. <laughs> well, it, it, I'd be really concerned about that organization. I would say that's a sign they're not aligned. Right. There's not a real, if the mutual purpose is a pool, it's not a very big one. Right. Uh, for instance. Well, and that's what the pool of shared meaning. When the pool of shared meaning comes down. There you go. Yes. Then you're surrounded by. So if they're poking you, it's, they're, you got to get the pool bigger. Yeah. Right. And there's, okay. there's, there's no safety there. And maybe they're not a good fit for this team, but you still got to give them the, the benefit of the doubt when they just don't know. And here's what you, here's the learning opportunity. Yeah. I look at this as a huge learning opportunity for people that are really bad at this, that they can go, there will be a time where you'll go, uh-huh. and get it. And I always ask when I started classes, I went, okay, are you a vacationer? I'm here for two days because, you know, I got to get out of the office for two days. I'm a hostage. They're forcing me into doing this class. <laughs> I'm, in this, I'm an explorer because, wow, this sounds really interesting. I'm very interested in it. And the people that were the hostages, you know, like, I mean, forcing me in this class. And I tell them, okay, you're good. I want you to, you know, keep that skepticism. That's important because I, you're the one that will be most likely to get the greatest value out of it. You just don't see it yet. Hmm. And so then we get into mastering my stories. And, you know, I'm going to talk about victim, villain, helpless. We tell clever stories. I see something, I tell myself a story, and then I generate an emotion and an action. And we tend to tell these stories where I'm the victim, you're the villain, and I have no other choice but to treat you this way because by golly, you deserve it. I look back at the two nurses on the, criticizing the doctor, and I'll just call them, you know, two o'clock in the morning, let them know this patient's got a hundred degree temperature. You know, who's being <laughs> candid about it and you know that's a problem that's a problem is that you are i'm the victim he's the villain and if i don't treat him this way he deserves it so therefore that's what he's going to get and then like i said you're behaving exactly the way you need to to prove that that person thought that you were the villain and he was the victim so if i think i'm the victim and you're the villain i can just about guarantee you that you think just the opposite 
Mm -hmm. And there's where we get into trouble. So. My mind, as you're going through that, went to context. Context mm -hmm. is important, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because as you're talking about, I'm like, boy, context can make that person poke the uh, to test the other person, yeah, right. and they're not truly a schmuck. Or uh, they might be in the meeting pool, but there's there's something. So what would be the appropriate reaction to that? If I'm the person that's trying to get better at these skills, and this person's almost going to watch me do this, what would be the appropriate response if I was going to poke you? What would be the appropriate response? Assuming I was trained and my amygdala didn't fire, right. Right? let's make that assumption. I, based on what I know, my mind would go to, I need to know why this is, I guess. And I'd want to take it offline. I'd want mm -hmm. to diffuse it. And I would, if it was in a group setting, I'd try to get together. Hopefully, I had set up the objective of why we're all in the same room or the same Zoom. Yeah, right. And right. try to get back to that. Not ignore it, but acknowledge whatever might be relevant from the poke. Because there should be something, just yeah. not out of the blue. Right. right. Like, I hate your shirt. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. I'm not assuming it's not bad. Something, that's what I would, I mean, Folks not being a pro at that, that's what I would try to do. Right. And then, right. And, you know, my response to that wouldn't be to just, you know, what the heck are you doing here? Um, it's because anytime someone's behaving badly like that, there's usually a reason for it. There's always a reason for it. And it often comes down to fear. What am I afraid of? And it's that I'm afraid of losing face, being seen as weak, not being able to gain the trust and respect. Is that defensive member? Is that defensive member? Right. Right. Prerequisite seeing themselves trampled on. Back first. Right. Right. Changes, totally changes the dynamic. That's. Well, and I've had some people say, well, God, this is to take forever. This is a lot of time and effort that goes in. And so I can just say, no, I need to do this and need to know because. Okay, well, you'll get compliance. You will, but yeah. you get we get cooperation. Mm -hmm. So you can punish people into compliance, but not into commitment. Sure, and trying to solve real problem. So, then my experience has been that it, you know, taking command and just making things happen usually takes a lot longer because of all the pushback that happens silently or otherwise <laughs> along the way. And getting that buy-in is really important. But the other one I think is really important too, and this is in the, in the last chapters on deciding how to decide. Oh, that was one of my other big, I, I think my biggest takeaways when I originally took the class was victim, villain, helpless. Okay. And that it, it depended. My tendency at work was more to go to silence. My tendency at home is to go to verbal violence. My son Scott would tell me, you know, make a zero move in split second. <laughs> yeah, lots of parents. It's just, that. It's just the way it is, you know. But High stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can tell. Well, he was 13 when I first took this class. Okay. And so he was my test case. To, and I found myself doing the, you know, if I don't yell at you, I won't get your attention thing. Well, which is baloney. You know, my, the question should be, how can I get your attention without yelling at you? Mm. So it's not an either or. And this is where the whole dumb down thing goes mm. from that. It's like Mel amygdala dumps in, you know, little clans go to the end Is that, you know, we tend to go on the tap and notice that very much sense. I would do that fast. That's my fear. My fear sure. then was him. Okay, I was a single mom at the time. I'm screwing up. I have really made a huge, you know, my son did something really stupid and it's all my fault because I wasn't a good mother. That's when I really peeled it all apart. That's what was at that, that going off on, on a tangent and going into attack mode. 
know, you just can do that. No. The last one, train of thought for some Well, that's fun. That's what we said at the very beginning. There's so many places to go. And one thing that came to mind again as I was reviewing was trying to give myself little acronyms to, in the heat of the moment, remind myself. And I came up with the transition between from, from I feel to I think. And one thing that is one of my kind of pet peeves is the high rate of the use of I feel. Yeah. And then we go rational with fact. And okay, so Paul's engineer is, wait a minute, you believe or think or validate through facts. And yes, a gut feel would be one of the things would be appropriate to lay on. Yeah. But I feel only in a high stakes business situation when the holder of the resource investment decision, and we have magnitudes, right? So this could be very small and most of the time they are, right? They're not like bet the business decisions. Of course I'm bet the business decisions. But my experience has been that as teams get better at getting to, I think, and the other thing I wanted to talk about is multiple solutions. So we actually have more for dialogue. Right. And they brought something that demonstrates commitment to the purpose. Mm -hmm. Those tend to go really well. Yeah. And so I was trying to get to root purpose. So I think to, I feel to, I think transition. And I thought, how can I package that so that the new generation that uses, I feel at a high rate mm -hmm. when they're describing, I noticed that. I don't know if yeah, you ever did with, how could you package that to make it useful? Because for me, it's like, I'm feeling kind of pissed off right now. I got to okay. settle down and follow this process I learned and found all my amygdala. Right. And also I have to get off of just purely rational facts. And I think sometimes I acknowledge a human being, blah, blah, blah. So it kind of goes both. You can slide both ways on it. What do you think about the I feel part on an overused? Where did your feelings come from? And it was from that story that you told. Uh, and so that is changeable. So you cannot hang your hat on strictly feelings. Like I said, this group of psychologists and social workers I was talking with, they just were like, whoa, really? I mean, you guys should know this. You should know this. I was kind of surprised that, you know, where do your feelings come from? And you know, I find a lot of people in, the, in that profession, you know, they're just kind of, that's how she felt. And yeah. the, the big question, just like you said, is where did I thought something that generated that feeling, that emotion yeah. that then resulted in an action. So, so think. It's, and that's the whole key is can you think and get beyond just gut feelings? Uh, and to me, that's the real, the real key. Is if I can slow my brain down, which is going off in the slow, yes, you know, and slow that down and go, wait, wait, wait a minute. This is there's safety at risk here. And as soon as someone starts doing, you know, something, when they just blame or they're, they're hacking or they're withdrawing, it doesn't mean just going under attack. But you know, no, that's fine. It's just oh, that drives me crazy too. Right. <laughs> you know? And the passive aggressive stuff. Oh no, that's not. Yeah. That's just me. Right. Because you know, we have to produce results so we all can be there next year yeah. at some point. Well, and then it gets down to the skill of being when someone behaves that way. And, well, then it's looking, learning to look for signs of silence and violence. Okay. And learning to look for when someone clams up, which is a whole lot more typical than going to attack. And so it's being able to pull that out of people 
And I think as, I don't know, maybe on a formal statement, are, are engineers more likely to go to silence? I, I'm going to say yes. Most people do. But... I'm going to say yes. That's, of course, we'll leave it at a hypothesis, but my experience would support that statement. I'll work with a bunch of accountants and say it's going to go. Sure. Because well, it's pretty easy to do that because yeah. most people do that anyway. Right. And and that's where, I mean, it's, I think with attack behaviors, those are easy to see. Yeah. You know, very apparent. Whoa. So it's almost like I'd almost rather have an attack situation like that because then, well, I know what I'm dealing with. Yeah. So when it goes to silence and I'm getting so wrapped up in feelings or I just not say anything, what is at risk there? I'm fearing yeah. that I'm going to look bad or I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to whatever. We can roll it into all kinds of different things. And so then we need to, if, if we are skilled at this or want to be skilled at this, is recognizing that someone has gone to that closed up stage. Well, by the way you say that, I'm not so sure you I'm really interested in what you have to say. Sure. And I, I'm like, no, no judgments here. Right? And you can preface your comments with sincere words that say, I do want to know. I do care. I'm interested. And if I don't have that, then I'm not going to have, yeah. I will not have real trust in this thing. If I do a, a kind of a bell curve of just the way people are reacting to this on the silence, violence continuum, so way down there is people saying nothing really quiet way up here is way inappropriate attacks maybe even they're wrestling on the conference room floor right right and i want to vary what i put on my vertical axis so in this discussion one of my so i'm getting to a question and that is i believe increasing the intensity of communication is appropriate at times and so one of my you know let's use the 1942 d-day storming they got to take a wall it's loud you know they're yelling and pushing and so the context creates an intensity Absolutely. that is appropriate and then on the other side i don't know in my mind I, i'm imagining being in grandma's hospital room on our last day you know just but the question is is it appropriate to recognize this continuum of outcomes where we have these two undesirable ends? But not, I'm trying to get people not to be afraid of raising the intensity of the conversation. And this is very dicey because it's hard to do it in a skillful area. But if it's really high stakes and you're out of time, and so I spent some time listening to Apollo 13, the three engineers that really solved the whole problem. It's a fascinating hour and a half interview. And they were talking about situations where they had a process to bring forth communications, but they had a role, a decision maker who had to assess and make a decision. There was no time to collaborate. Right. Decide how to decide. And this is contextual. Yes. And this is contextual as well, right? right? Because we don't all have that issue. Right. But what struck me is I think it would be productive for organizations if they could figure out how to appropriately crank up the intensity. Boy, you have to have that big pool of shared meaning, I think. Well, Go to the moon, come back alive is bigger than most of us can enjoy. Right, right. right. Please comment. My mind is like, how do I solve this? how to decide thing and you know i said okay it was victimville and helpless and then it was decide how to decide and four types of decisions and now give some context to this too i mean the first one is command we have to equal employment opportunity laws we're going to do it this way you know the hall of fortune is going to blow up if we don't do something yeah. we have to do something okay so that's command i'm the boss i get to decide you know if we had everybody involved in every decision that's what we could have done 
So by your position, you have a certain amount of command authority, which is fine. And then you also have the command stuff also comes along with rules and regulations that you have to, you know, we can't, we have to have a safe workplace, blah, blah, blah. Can't be off doing, you know, not following OSHA regulations. So then there's consult. Well, there's vote. Vote's easy. Coke or Pepsi, you know, so it's low stakes, no big deal. Vote's not that big, that big a deal. But where we get where we get problematic is with consult versus consensus. And I worked one place years and years ago that almost all of the big decisions in the organization were made by consensus. It took forever. Okay. Even if it's wrong, you know, mm-hmm. we'll come back and fix it. But it was just so much analysis paralysis stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm not a patient person, I know that. And so I want, you know, like you want to get things done. Yep. And, but they have learned that, you know, sometimes I need to slow things down because you slow them down so that they can speed up later. But what we have happened, I think, and this is just a baby boomer thing, we all love being involved in decisions. We really do. It's true. We really like it. Yes. You, I want, you may not ask for my opinion, but I'm going to give it to you. Okay. And so when the boss comes around and says, you know, I need your input on this, we then think that it's going to be a consensus decision. When in fact, it's probably a consult decision. Uh-huh. The boss didn't tell you that to start with. So then you, do, you, you get all this input and then you know the boss makes the decision and the publishes it and everybody's like, oh, my stuff wasn't in there. What the heck? Mm-hmm. You know, and when what he should, he or she should have said was, we have this decision to make. I have this decision to make. I would really like all of your input and I want to get this. But I have to make the decision. I still have to make. And okay, we, we've got, and you know, like you said, we only have an hour to do this. Okay, we have an hour, or I, I would love to have consensus, but if we can't get there, then I'm going to do the consult decision and make it. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you say that up front with people, well, again, yeah, managing expectations is really sure. a big deal. And then understanding your role. Yes. I think there's people can. My experience when I've gotten that wrong through my actions or lack thereof as a manager. So there's role drift. Oh, yes. I like that word, that phrase. And sometimes managers actually want role drift. We also call that growth sometimes. But when we roll into what we're talking about, it can be really problematic. And if I think we're, at least for me in my mind, I'm saying I'm back to I have to become a better communicator so that as roles change, drift, we're clear on what changes with them. And then, like you said, decide how to decide is a takeaway for me. I don't think an organization ever needs, ever comes to a conclusion of not having to revisit that, adjust it, recommunicate and train it. Yeah, right. And I think I can say for mine, we get lazy on it. We make decisions based on the information that we have available at the time. Ah. And then your role with it. And then we get more information. Oh, yeah. so now we need to apply that. And it, it's you know, sort of like why was word processing invented? You know, because job descriptions change all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always going to change. But you have to have a point where you put your stake in the ground, and we're going to move it and move and move. And if something different happens along the way, yes, of course, no. we're going to think about what new information might be there that we didn't have before. And I know also, Deb, that you have a lot of experience with some of these tests and personality types. And so in this context of crucial conversation, something that came to mind for me was a hard driving person versus the super sensitive. 
Can we talk about that dynamic? Again, to exaggerate the point, because mm-hmm. typically the two people that come together through my experience with you and those tests, that there's difference. There's yeah. differences. Well, and, they and to me, those are like really problematic yeah. ends of the pole. And see, I see them as benefits. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn. Because, you know, if we were all the same, it would be terrible. And so by having the very sensitive person, and this is, I don't know if you've done any of the PI, they've got it where you can get into your different quadrants and your team and what it looks like. It's been a while, but and, yeah. And, you know, how you want it. If you've got a team on a project, you want to have people from all four quadrants yeah. because yeah. if you don't, if you're all the detailed people, you're going to get analysis paralysis. If they're all the hard driving people, you're going to miss detail. And if you have all the hard driving people, none of the people people, then nobody's going to like it. So those things all need to be balanced and you need them all. And so it's not either or, which is a typical thing for us to do. Is it this or is it that? No, it's we can expand that view to say, what can I do to take advantage? Not take advantage isn't the right word. Get the result more efficiently. Utilize the best skills and abilities that people bring to the table. And we all have different skills and abilities. And then that's getting the hard driving person to realize that the really quiet person has something to contribute to. Yeah. Because their tendency will be, eh, you know, they're just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's not the case. That, it, it, one of my other favorite books is on my book list that I gave you is called Quiet. I've read that one too. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. The power, the, power, the power of introverts in the world that can't stop talking. And I'm an extrovert. So we just, <laughs> Yeah, love it. Contextual. I'm a contextual yeah. extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other times I'm very introverted. Well, and on your PI. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because you're lower on the, on the, um, the introversion extrovert. Yeah. I'd much rather stand up and be a wallflower having a deep conversation at a party than float yeah. around the room. And I'm, and I'm you know, oh, look at this. <laughs> look at this. I'm going to get to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's really helpful, I think, for people that this isn't for one or another type, and it's going to help all types of individuals. And that tip about balance is really good, I think. Mm-hmm. Really good. You want everybody skilled in this. Right. And you need those different, those different personality types, those different skills to get a really robust result. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have that, it, it ends up, well, I always people have been for all those years that I have. We have very analytical people, very analytical people, and which is great. You want that. But when it comes to how is the organization going to move to get moving ahead and how do we create a sense of community in our organization and commitment and all of that, those are people skills. And if you've got folks that are all into the just, you know, let's get things done, then you've missed the opportunity to bring along the commitment, the environment, the culture of your organization. Hmm. And that's important. That's probably a good segue comment into, I definitely want to talk about word choice in all of this. I mean, you have a lot to say on that. How should we expand on that? Why is word choice important, for instance? Well, we, can, we, we end up saying things in ways that are, our intention is good, but how it comes out of your mouth is not. And then in word choice, you can start off with word choice. And I've seen people say things just, I can't believe I can't believe it. And then they'll go, and they'll see the reaction. Everybody's going, like, yeah. That's oh, me. Oh, That's okay. me, my Oh, I see. Yeah. I must have triggered something here. I didn't and relate to this, personally. Let me pull back and say, how could, and you can even ask, how could I have said that differently? Uh, 
Ah, that's a good one. You know, but here's what I'm trying to say. And I obviously didn't say it very well. Mm -hmm. Is there another way that I could have said that that would have been helpful? And uh, yeah, word choice matters. Absolutely. Well, they talked about hot words. Yeah. Always, never. Yeah. Harassment, that's a big hot word. No, I think toxic is a hot word. Toxic is a hot word. Abusive is a hot word. Yeah. Bullying was a hot word. Tell us about that. Why are they kind of, for lack of a better way for me to describe it, popular to describe uncomfortable situations? I feel like people are, as I put in our notes, like they're kicking the can on purpose to get a reaction. Well, I mean, being in HR, I saw this a lot where they're harassing me. In the technical sense, no. Well, they were maybe not being very nice, but they weren't technically harassing. <laughs> yeah. And because, well, they're a bunch of big bullies. Well, I'm not even sure it was that after getting the words and figuring out that no. That's another house bully. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. And so, I mean, we might say in our policy, we don't want to have harassing behavior going on, but bullying is not harassment. It's just not, it's not nice. No. Where I'm, I'm putting people down, I'm making fun of them, I'm, you know, in the break room and withholding information and, you know, all those things that, that, bullying, that bullying behavior is. But the, they usually don't see it that way. And so there is a conversation is that you're seeing this behavior and to me this looks like bullying. Oh, they're just so really sensitive. Hmm. That you now she's just too sensitive. Well, not always the case. Yes, sometimes it is the case. And I will say that I have been in situations before where, you know, you're taking this way too seriously. And, you know, if this is not bullying, it's not harassment, it's you being overly sensitive. And what can we do to, you know, have, have you, that not be such a trigger for you? Mm -hmm. So, but that's the exception. That is definitely the exception. Mm -hmm. And so when people are behaving badly, we, you know, even though it's not technically harassment and therefore illegal, you still don't want your employees acting that way. Yeah. So, and there's your policy that says, you know, I don't care if it's technically harassment or not, just be nice to people. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really good, so bullying, harassment, when somebody unskilled in dialogue in all of this is trying to raise urgency so the intentions are good but the fallout is completely misinterpreted you it happens back. a lot i you think step back yep. where did i go wrong what could i have said differently i mean I'm, here's my intentions are good my delivery is not yeah my delivery has caused some problems that i didn't intend for it to do yeah. and how can i so i think it's listing people say i don't know how to say the words exactly the way i should and I'm going to own that, but I need you to be, I need your help so that I can be better at this. You just answered my next question. That puts the trust back in. Yeah. Right. And you can tell me, go ahead and tell it to me. Me with it. And did you read the chapter on the retake your pen? Yes. That was not in the first two chapters. Okay. Tell us, tell us. Wow. That was about being able to, what was it? They called it feed smack. Yes. Where you get feedback, negative, really negative feedback, and boom, you're just crushed by it. Well, oh. take it for, you know, thank, I thank you for the feedback. I appreciate that. I'll need to think about it a little bit, and then I'll get back to it. Don't be gobsmacked by feedback that may or may not be appropriate. Okay. I don't know yet. And so then if I'm going to be so offended by the feedback that you gave me, I'm giving you power over me, as opposed to, is this something that, I know I'm a good person. Maybe my delivery leaves something to be desired, but I know my intentions are good. Mm -hmm. So then I can enlist help in how do I get better at that. 
Mm-hmm. And so I can recognize that even though someone might be saying something to me in a way that is less than skilled, that I can understand that their intention is hopefully good mm-hmm. and get something out of it. So it can be really, I mean, just sleazy, nasty, horrible, you're an evil person, I can't stand you. Well, why, you know, there, there's fear going on there. How can I get at that? What is it that I'm saying and that I'm doing? And, you know, and sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it and the impact that it's having on that person. And there might be four people in the room and they're perceiving it differently. So is it right or wrong? I don't know. It just is what it was. And so then do I have to be concerned about what everybody's thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely you do. How, how do you bring somebody along who feels feed-smacked all the time? That's a great word. Yeah, you know, that alone almost. Like, like that. Yeah. Like, well... I want to talk about something you're doing that's having a negative effect you might not be aware of. Ah. I want to be able to talk with you about some ways in which how you speak your mind is causing you to have less influence with the team. Ah. I mean, there's some just really great words here that are, I've incorporated these into my vocabulary now. I have one that I thought was really interesting. I've seen this happen a few times now. I'm not sure, but it appears to me like, I'd like to understand your thoughts on this. I had one executive I worked at at the place that I left that he used the phrase, help me to understand, like a weapon. Help me to understand how you came to that conclusion, Deb. You know, it's like, mm, what an idiot. It's how it came across. Yeah. And you you know, you just yeah. respond to that. Yeah, tone, it's, body language. Yes. So the words are important. The sincerity is even more so. Okay. In the tone of voice. And you can't so, fake it. Got to be authentic. And so, you know, they're one of the things you have to you know, apologize if you did something. And, whoops, oh, I'm sorry, that didn't work. Let me try this differently. But if you do the, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty insincere. Sure. You can tell when people are being, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. It doesn't work. Got to be sincere. That again, because she'll cut that out. So oh. if you're insincere in your apology, it, it won't work. People can see. We can see right through that. Thank you. And I <laughs> will end up going, eh. In my mind, I'm sitting there thinking about the jar in the middle of the conference table. And every time somebody uses a hot word, they got to put a quarter in the jar for the you know, mm-hmm. beer party on Friday. I don't know. And I know that's not quite appropriate. So do teams, they develop a productive, healthy language, right, yeah. around this? Yes, absolutely. It's harder so, with teams. It's easier with individuals because you're a finite you know, feedback loop here. Yeah. With teams, you've got lots of people to be in. And then as a leader. That's an opportunity to lead. Yeah, as a leader, yeah, you're you're on view here. Yeah. And you're the one that's having to call the shots here. And again, people will go watch this mm-hmm. and say something. And well, one of the examples in the, it was actually one of the videos, I think we talked about this a little bit before, Greta. She was an executive and had got and was on a cost credit mission that needed to happen in that organization. A couple hundred managers had them all together in a room. And, you know, we're, we really need to do this. Merger and acquisition trailer, blah, 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 blah. Here's what we're doing. And we're not getting them. Like, what's going on? 200 people. Nobody says anything. And then finally, at the back of the room, raises his hand and goes, well, Greta, I hate to tell you this, but the word going around here is that you're asking us to you know, use both sides of the paper and wear our pencils to the nib and all this, that, there's, that you've got a, another office building being built that the furniture alone is like $100,000. 
And so here she's in this big room with all these people. And where did her motive just go? Hmm. <gasps> I'm being personally attacked, that idiot. I'll take yeah. care of them. Hmm. And one of the authors, Joseph Brenny, was watching this happen. He said, I saw the author's hand went to the microphone. And other one came up like a loaded weapon. And she was ready to just jump on him and then went, wait a minute. What do I really want here? I want these 200 managers to go out and really support the cost-cutting effort. And if I go after this guy and defend my dignity, then I've lost him. What do I really want? That's the big question. And if I'm going to be right, look good, save face, there's my motive. When I really want to understand and learn and get and keep my relationships going, then I need to slow down. And, and she said something to the effect, you know, that's a really good question. I took a lot of guts to ask that question. Thank you for asking that question. And so then they got into some discussions. We found out that there were some things going on she wasn't really aware of. But she had not spent as much time on this budget for some marketing thing or something. And she had not done her due diligence on that. So for that, she apologized. Hmm. I'm here I'm asking you all to do this stuff, and I wasn't paying as close attention on this as I should have been. At that point, it took off, but she had to ask yeah, herself, yeah. what am I, and, and that's what, you know, Joseph Brenny was saying, or the authors were saying, that that took, I mean, incredible mental capacity to, what do I really want here? What am I trying to accomplish? If I do this, what's going to happen? I've lost everybody. Yeah, you have to, it sounds like you need to develop a capacity to be in the conversation, but observing the conversation. Right, right, right. And what comes to mind for me is we can't, what can we do by ourselves for preparation when we're going into this? So I mentally rehearse, visualize, go through it in my head. But now with this, clearly some of the things, for instance, state, but, well, what can we do there's, on our own? There's some tools. Yeah. Some tools. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're up on the website too, I'm sure. But planning for a crucial conversation and yes. thinking about what do we do before before the conversation? I'm gonna what's the right problem? Am I am I solving the right problem? And then start with heart. What's my motives after my stories? Am I telling stories about this person about this situation? And what's my role in this? Mm-hmm. And so being prepared to open the conversation. I've noticed this. I'm wondering if this is what's going on here, or do you do? So during that conversation, I'm stating my path. You know, state my path. Tell my you know. Share my facts, tell my story, ask for their path. What do you see? Talk tentatively, encourage testing. And so then I need to also be learning to look for signs of silence and violence that they're planning up or going on the attack. And how can I make it safe by contrasting? No, that's not what I intended. What I want, what I don't want to have happen is this. What I do want to have happen is this. And so you're clarifying your intention to start with making it safe. Mutual purpose, mutual respect all those things, and then exploring how did they get where they're at. Mm-hmm. So I know my path in here. I need to, and, and actually it's almost, most frequently is better ask for their path first. So, you know, we've got the situation going on and wondering, how did you get here? So if I ask for how you got here, then chances are you're going to turn around and ask me, how did I get there? So, but if I start first, I mean, it's not terrible at first, but it's usually more effective if you get the other person involved. I'm willing to listen to you. It's all about listening skills. And then, you would you be willing to hear what I have to say? And there's one of the things in the book about you know, getting going to family gatherings, and you know that Uncle Carl is going to go off on a tangent, something political, and just start get everybody in a, in a tizzy. 
and what are the words that come out of your mouth? And I thought, oh, I know we've got some strong feelings about this. I'd really like to learn more about how you got there and what you found. What is it that, you know, why you think the way you do? And I hope that after I've listened to you, you'll be interested in hearing about how I got there and what I said and what I'm thinking. Ah, I've set up a conversation. Mm. So I've decided how to decide. I'm telling people, here's what we're going to do. My expectation. I want to listen to you first. And then I would like to be able to explain my side too. So there you go. It's brilliant. You know? It's unbelievable. And it's not overly complex, yeah, which is beautiful right. about it. Yeah. You can really burn it into your brain cells. Like I was telling you before, I haven't been in consulting. I go to people problem solving stuff all the time for clients. And I'm like, God, Dad, can you just write down what it was? That, you know, how, how can I say this to my and so it's and sometimes pretty good at this. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty good at this. And then I took the I read the book and took the class and was like, oh. mm-hmm. and this is how this is why it all works. Yeah. And here's the things that I missed and those that had had problems and then it didn't work. And so I just find it trying to very, very eye opening, very helpful, empowering mm-hmm. that it's learnable. You don't have to be, you know, naturally gifted at this. Just don't. Yeah, my mind well, everyone should, and not everyone will. Right. And so, of course, I think we both agree. We sure hope they do. Mm-hmm. And some easy ways to just, I just keep thinking about the golden rule, kind of, as a reminder. But in preparation, I'm back to that. A lot of, all kinds of people, surgeons, athletes, managers. I think we all have, we do this mental preparation before. And that was something I've gathered, is you really do want to dedicate some time mentally prepare for this and for me it works really well to do the visualization that might be some soft talk it might be journaling a little bit it might be writing down my the outcome i would like from this with a little context that for me helps bring to the forefront of what i want to accomplish but also something that i really like the book do hard things i've quoted it so much but it resonates with kind of the professional thing and that is for lack of a better word embrace the suck I mean, uh, you got to prepare yourself that it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That's one reason. And then to me, you really should do things outside of work to help that whole mental, emotional muscle. So for me, I do that on my bike. But you can really get yourself, I think, I've discovered when I've had employees where I really have to have a tough conversation with that prep, I can really visualize the discomfort. Mm -hmm. One might be having to let somebody go. Another one... Boy, the prep. Well, well, you taught me a lot about that too, interactions. And then it's just how do you you really want to go through it? And not that you're going to simulate perfectly the discomfort, but knowing the discomfort is coming is a big part of the puzzle. Does that resonate with you or have you seen it? You can say that in your preparation, in your introduction to your conversation. I don't think this is going to be an easy conversation. I expect it to be. I think it has to happen. Sure. And my intentions are good here, and I, but I need to understand your side as well. And if I don't, and your thoughts, not your side. Let's see, there's a choice of words. Not word. That don't your side. No, yeah. I under, need to understand your thoughts as well. And understand what your motivations are. If anything I bring up makes your life more complicated, then I failed. So I need to establish mutual purpose. I'm not here to make your life more complicated. I'm actually here to try and make things better for it and easier all the way around. Yeah. But there are things that are getting in the way that I'm noticing that I may, I may know what I'm talking about, I may not. But sure. I need to have this conversation sure. with you. And sure. 
with them. If we can have those tough, if you can have those few tough conversations and they go well, they really are tremendous at strengthening the relationship. We can get through something hard like this. Trust goes up. Yeah, outstanding. So we've already had fun a long time. So we got to wrap it up. This was really fun. And then doing that, we'll take some time doing that. How about we start by, in your mind, what did we miss? What would you like to add or something I didn't ask about? Does anything come to mind? Or you'd like to? Well, I think, you know, where do you go from here? And then, you know, the other books that we're going to end up talking about. Yeah. Punishment. Oh, my goodness. I love that book. And, you know, how do you take these skills and use them and apply them in all kinds of different situations? But the, the best part of it is recognizing that you don't know everything. And that's okay. Yep. Like it's, a, it's a learning opportunity. I need to learn more to understand how to get to this situation. What can we do to get out of it? And practice. Practice, practice. Oh, you're going to mess it up, but you can always go back and say, yeah, okay. try this again. Right. Outstanding. So I want to give the listeners some takeaways they may be able to implement in the short term. So as I'm coming up with the mind, I'm giving you the heads up so you can think about yours. Okay. So I'm going to go with the three that, and you can use any number you want, but when you used consult versus consensus in deciding how to decide, that's that seems really workable for me. I like that. I like to carry a little things back and forth. Our word games, if you will, our acronyms to help me remember. I think that's just really smart. There are situations where both are appropriate and to bring that in as kind of a qualifier for how the interaction or the project or the initiative is going to go yeah, or to what degree you use consensus before you get to decision rules. All those kind of things are, I think, a little bit undermanaged in my experience and especially with me. So that's a really good one. Another one I really like is get to accentuate respect is what hit me when you were talking about ask their path first. How do we get here? And then listen first. That is just, especially if you've made a mistake, what a great way to maybe, yeah. not really an olive branch, but bring trust right away in like, okay, want to hear your side. Oops, I said side. <laughs> I need to practice. And for me, some of the other things I've been kind of studying and testing out there or reinforced today. And that is preparation and really trying to prepare yourself for the discomfort you're going to face before you get there. And then lastly, you added the piece. Well, when you get there, acknowledge what's going on. You know, the start with art thing. It's also really easy because it's a nice little rhyme to remember. And I hope that the listener, you know, picks up a bunch. I really hope they pick up the book and pay attention to these little tools they've had. You'll be able to see those on the YouTube version. If you're listening to this on the airways on a podcast, please go out and get on the YouTube version and you'll see these neat guides that Deb's brought. They're just fabulous. Crucialskills.com is okay. the website. Great. It has crucial conversations where you're going to talk crucial accountability. Yeah. Well, there's a few other books that they you know, yeah. influencer, getting things done, training things out there yeah. too. Great, great resources to use for all of those. So. Okay. And anything else for the listener? I mean, that. Well, I think sometimes we think that, you know, that you can have these conversations with only people that you know, you know, you can help. <laughs> <laughs> And it doesn't mean, so dialogue, of course, requires mutual respect, but it doesn't mean you only maintain dialogue with people you like. Mm -hmm. So, because you're going to run into people you don't like and, and that don't like you. 
and that's okay. So you can respect them even if you don't like them or even if you mistrust them, but it doesn't require friendship. I think it does require the ability to see the humanity that we each have. Even the stickiest of people, they got there somehow. And being able to go, how did that happen? But we can see other people as worthy of respect and this ability that we know anything. Yes. And do, do we end up continuing to employ them? It depends on the situation. I've seen some of the case histories that I've gone through, and, and, and I've gone to their crucial conversations, conferences out in Salt Lake City many years in a row, and I've met all the authors, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I've had long conversations with them, and, you know, they're really just really incredible, incredible people. And you know what? They screwed us up, too. So I said, you know, here, we're supposed to be good, we're good, we're good, we're good you know, and we still have, did too, did not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. So it's having some humility that, yeah, it's, it's yeah. okay. We always do that. Just keep trying, keep learning. Yeah. Don't be discouraged. Use it as learning opportunity. Right. Well, I've really enjoyed having our chat. Thank you. I'm inviting you back. We have a bunch of books we want to talk about. Can't wait. Yeah, I love reading books and talking about them. So yes. Yes. Excellent. Well, this was a blast and I wish you the very best week. Super, super productive. And thank you for joining us. Okay. I hope you took a lot away. I really appreciate you joining me today. I believe that we have touched on concepts that can absolutely maximize your margin, optimize your team and rescue your time, all three. So with that, I wish you the very best luck. If you're interested in getting some help, contact me on my website. You can benefit from a free consultation discussing your case, and we'll see where we can go from there. If not, I wish you the very best luck in your endeavors. Until the next time, I hope you have a fabulous week. It's time to get to work.